the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. June 4th, 2021. Everyone was brave that day. That's what President Reagan told the boys of Pointe du Hoc in Normandy in 1984, the 40th anniversary of D-Day. This weekend marks the 77th anniversary, and I think it's just really chilling to think how about how distant that speech by Reagan was from D-Day, 40 years. And think about how close we are to that same number today since Reagan spoke, almost 40 years, just off three years. So consider between D-Day and Reagan's speech that we remember like yesterday is the same amount of time, same distance in time from Reagan's speech then and today. And what a different country we are now, so different than what we were then. More different from 1984 today, I think, than 1984 was different from 1944. Why is that? Well, one reason is I think we've lost sight of the word brave. That's been, by slow and steady efforts, that's been converted into toxic masculinity. But the question from our national anthem still abides, does it not? Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave? Recall it was a question, a set of lyrics in the form of a question. In 1984, that song was huge and hugely everywhere and hardly thought about. We sang it like we drank water without thinking much about it. I think it fair to say that was true not just of 1984, but of almost every year between 1814 when it was written in 1984. The idea that people will find that song, would find that song controversial, would be the idea that America was controversial. And that sentiment would have found no quarter in America 37 or 40 years ago. Today, it's the default. Let's take a few moments to look at a few other things President Reagan spoke of in 1984 and think about how those words would resonate today. He said, quote, the men of Normandy had faith that what they were doing was right, faith that they fought for all humanity, faith that a just God would grant them mercy on this beachhead or on the next. It was the deep knowledge, and pray God we have not lost it, that there is profound moral difference between the use of force for liberation and the use of force for conquest. You were here to liberate, he told those boys, not to conquer, and so you and those others did not doubt your cause, and you were right not to doubt. You all knew that some things are worth dying for. One's country is worth dying for, and democracy is worth dying for, because it's the most deeply honorable form of government ever devised by man. And you loved liberty. All of you were willing to fight tyranny, and you knew the people of your countries were behind you. Close quote. Those words that have been have been twisted by knaves, have they not? Now if you speak in terms of moral force and right and liberation and our cause all wound up in our faith, but that is or was a language well familiar in the 1980s. Again, just the distance in time from Reagan's speech to now as D-Day was to Reagan's speech. Today, those terms, including the term tyranny, might be more spoken 
from people on the left declaiming against America as the likes of Ilan Omar claim we are a racist country founded on genocide. Those terms carry much more weight and truth with our 18-year-olds today than they would have in the 1980s. And we are not the better for it because it's not true. That's why I love the idea of recommitting to teaching our children not just American history, but good American history. By good, I don't mean only the things we did that were good. After all, that too would be a whitewash and wrong. We did things that weren't good. Of that, there's no doubt. But we did more that was great. And that is what is now alien to our students and too many adults. And, and, and Democrats... They used to know and get this, too. Former New York Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan put it this way. Am I embarrassed to speak for a less than perfect democracy? Not one bit. Find me a better one. Do I suppose there are societies which are free of sin? No, I don't. Do I think ours is, on balance, incomparably the most hopeful set of human relations the world has? Yes, I do. Others have gotten it as well. I love the Canadian radio broadcaster Gordon Sinclair, who delivered a very famous address on the radio called The Americans, right when we were feeling pretty lousy about ourselves in the midst of Vietnam and Watergate in 1974. He put it this way, quote, you talk about scandals and the Americans put theirs right in the store window for everybody to look at, close quote. That's true enough. We're not afraid of our failings, foibles, fallings. But warts and all is not the same as just warts. And as I pointed out yesterday, look at all the ways the left insidiously and sometimes obviously goes about ensuring those warts are front and center. They're changing our founding date. They are indicting the whole country as racist and they've taken to silencing, literally censoring views that contradict their own, even if they are those of the former president. They don't want us to talk. They want us to convert or go away, and we will not do that. This is all the cost of historical ignorance. The left gets to write the narrative, and the Ilan Omars get to color in the blank spaces. As I said yesterday, let's look at the narrative beginning in our schools. Karl Marx's statement that the task of the philosopher was once to understand history and it is now from him the task to change it worries me the most because this is why you have revisionist American history books like Howard Zinn's. This is why you have a 1619 project being adopted from the New York Times into our classrooms. This is why you have the U.S. Department of Education bribing schools to impose critical race theory into their classrooms, especially using the works of Ibram X. Kendi, which is why you have BLM curricula alongside CRT curricula, alongside 1619 curricula, a whole range of menu options that flood the entire zone of choices to study and learn American history with only one problem, the span, the wingspan The valence runs from socialist revisionism to Marxist revisionism to Marxist race theory from the academy to Marxist race theory from the grassroots organizing level. I didn't get into the ancillary education materials that Netflix and social media networks and other television organizations are promoting for children, like teaching preschoolers and kindergartners and first graders about all forms of gender and sex, including the verb, not just the noun. That's your zone of educational materials. That's your range. I presume with more to come. But consider, that's your menu. 
unless you homeschool or go to a certain kind of charter or parochial school here and there. In other words, for 90% of our students, you get the range of anti-Americanism choices for your curricula about America that's an awful lot like the range Henry Ford once offered for the color of his cars. You can have the range of anything you want so long as it's anti-American. This is one of the reasons I really like what Wilfred McClay writes in his history book, The Land of Hope. It's about as accurate and good a history of America you can find, but just as importantly, it's about who we are and the importance of history. I love what he writes in his introduction, quote, For the human animal, meaning is not a luxury, it is a necessity. Without it, we perish. Historical consciousness is to civilized society what memory is to individual identity. Without memory and without the stories by which our memories are carried, we cannot say who or what we are. Without them, our life and thought dissolve into a meaningless, unrelated rush of events. Close quote. Let me pause here to point out what he just said and why I'm so critical of the left's constant and continual agitation of politics as news and the frenzy they put us all in along with the assist of the blare of cable that hypes and ramps up each of these stories day in and day out as if crisis should be the new norm. But it shouldn't be. Think about D-Day. That was a story. That was a crisis. And we, yes, we, nailed it with a lot of mistakes, but we sure as heck nailed it and knocked the Nazis back on their collective asses. Today's ramped up and hyped up stuff is nothing like that, but the left has to live and the cable television networks and newspapers have to get viewers and readers. Thus the agitation, or as Professor McClay puts it, a meaningless, unrelated rush of events. Please, I urge, withstand it. McClay goes on to say, quote, a culture without memory will, necess will necessarily be barbarous and easily tyrannized, even if it is technically advanced. The necessary waves of daily events will occupy all our attention and defeat all our efforts to connect past, present, and future, thereby diverting us from an understanding of the human things that unfold in time, including the paths of our own lives. Now enter new searches for meaning. Now enter deaths and diseases of despair. Now enter a whole generation of students who prefer the mode of governments we defeated 75 years ago, socialism. That's a turn. It's all a turn, and it's for the worst. How do you continue the most advanced set of human relations the world has ever known when you want to ape and emulate what we used to think of was a force for misery and evil? Leo Strauss, the political philosopher, saw this coming when he spoke about it as long ago as 1949, just four short years after World War II ended. He put it this way, quote, it would not be the first time that a nation defeated on the battlefield and annihilated as a political being had deprived its conqueror of the most sublime fruit of victory by imposing on him the yoke of its own thought. Whatever might be true of the thought of the American people, American social science has adopted the very attitude toward natural right, which in Germany could still be described with some plausibility as characteristically relativistic. The majority among the learned who still cherish the principles of the Declaration of Independence interpret these principles not as formulations of natural right, but as an ideal, if not an ideology or myth. 
present-day American social science is dedicated to the proposition that all men are endowed by the evolutionary process or by a mysterious fate with all kinds of urges and aspirations, but no unalienable rights. Think again, if you will, about what Woodrow Wilson said about the Declaration of Independence. Quote, if you want to understand the real Declaration of Independence, do not repeat the preface. Make a new table of contents. Make a new set of counts in the indictment. Make a new statement of the things you mean to set right. And then call all the civilized world to witness. We are not bound to adhere to the doctrines held by the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We are as free as they were to make and unmake governments. We are not here to worship men or a document. It is no fetish. Its words lay no compulsion upon the thought of a free man. Close quote. Why have the Declaration of Independence then anymore? Thank God the boys of Point du Hoc didn't see it that way, and thank God for an America that didn't used to see it all that way. The question is, can we summon up what we once had and go back as if full circle to Ronald Reagan's greatest wish that we retain a new birth of freedom based on informed patriotism, or will, rather, the modern age leave us in the place where patriotism remains a down-market commodity and we, like so many animals other than rational, move from lily pad to lily pad into a meaningless, unrelated rush of events. That, as the national anthem is a question, is also our major question today. I'm Seth Loops. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Open line Friday, 602 We're going to have a little fun. Bill had an idea for a game we're going to play with you a little later. Um, that will be fun. Uh, what, was, what was the story of the week? It was, wasn't not the, what we call origin theory. It was about whether the virology lab, the Wuhan virology lab, in fact, leaked out what became the Wuhan virus or the coronavirus, as opposed to whether it came through some kind of human jump after eating and dining on either a pangolin or a bat in a wet market. That is the story, isn't it? The other part of the story is the cover-up of that being the story for the last year. And then just to add a soupçon of more interest to it, we have the tranche of Anthony Fauci emails that have been released over the last three or four days, which substantiate the concerns that people like Tom Cotton and Rand Paul had about the origin story and its cover-up. All of that is the biggest story of the week, and it's going to have more dividends yet. The New York Times hasn't covered it once. Can you believe that? None of this made it into the New York Times. There are, it's unfair for me to say it, there are two mentions of it in the New York Times, neither of them in stories about it. One is an op-ed by Brett Stevens from a week ago, and one is a summary of the White House briefing today with Jen Psaki, where a question about Fauci came up, and they merely reprinted the question and answer. 
Can you believe none of this is a story in the New York Times and none of this rethinking of the origin? This is the New York Times, by the way, that blasted as conspiracy theorists those who believed or thought there was a good case to be made that the Wuhan virology lab was the source of the coronavirus. The New York Times had no problem, no problem blasting them. Jen Psaki was um, – she was asked uh, – Another question today, because I think if there that was the story of, of, of the week, today's biggest story is that Facebook has decided to ban Donald Trump, Twitter as well, for two more years. Two more years. I just sink in that a former president of the United States is being banned in the most popular forums for political discussion based on what he said on January 6th. Of course, I'm going to play you what Jen Psaki said about that. How long is that audio? Play it now. Jen Psaki was asked about this. The answer is remarkable. Listen to this. Does the White House have any reaction to Facebook's decision to suspend President Trump for two years? Was this uh, a reasonable consequence for what he said? Well, uh, as always, it's a decision for the company to make and any platform to make, and clearly they've come out and made their decision. Uh, our view continues to be, though, that every platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, any other platform uh, that is disseminating information to millions of Americans has a responsibility to crack down on disinformation, to crack down on false information, whether it's about the election or even about the vaccine, as we're trying to keep the American public safe and get more people or return to normal out in society. And I think as we look at it, uh, we learned a lot from President Trump, uh, the former president, uh, over the last couple of years about his behavior and how he uses these platforms. It feels pretty unlikely that the zebra is going to change his stripes over the next two years. I just want to we'll hold see. it there. I mean, a, a, a lot was said right there in that response. A lot was said. And I want to break it down for you because in that answer is the essence of what I would call an authoritarian personality or authoritarian personality disorder, if not the essence or quintessence, really, when you break down the five parts she brought up in that answer, it's the quintessence of soft tyranny. I'll explain it to you when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. If you're thinking about saying goodbye to those utility power companies and going solar... You want to reach out to my friend Solar Sandy. The difference between Solar Sandy and other solar companies here in Arizona is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when you go solar, you do it the right way. I want you to read the testimonials on her website, AskSolarSandy.com, and not just take my word for her credibility and amazing work. Read what others have said. And if you sign up now, she has a great deal where she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you'll receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right, a $1,000 bonus at signing and no power bills or 
solar panel payments for one year. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or give her a call at 623-850-8229. That's 623-850-8229 or AskSolarSandy.com. Jen Saki, uh, let's refresh with the answer she gave today, Bill. Let's play that audio again. She was asked about Facebook's banning of Donald Trump for the next two years. Here's what she said. Have any reaction to Facebook's decision to suspend President Trump for two years? Was this uh, a reasonable consequence for what he said? Well, uh, as always, it's a decision for the company to make and any platform to make, and clearly they've come out and made their decision. Uh, Our view continues to be, though, that every platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, any other platform uh, that is disseminating information to millions of Americans has a responsibility to crack down on disinformation, to crack down on false information, whether it's about the election or even about the vaccine, as we're trying to keep the American public safe and get more people or return to normal out in society. And I think as we look at it, uh, we learned a lot from President Trump, uh, the former president, uh, over the last couple of years about his behavior and how he uses these platforms. It feels pretty unlikely that the zebra is going to change his stripes over the next two years. We'll see. So does this decision validate what President Biden has repeatedly said about Mr. Trump, which is that words matter? Well, I don't know that it's a validation. I think the president isn't the only one who thinks that. Yeah. Words do matter. Yeah. Words, Words do, do matter. We'll come back to that, too, in a moment. Before we before we get there, let's just unravel what Jen Psaki said, because she said a lot. She started by answering, as always, this, this is a decision for the company to make, for these companies to make, for these private companies to make. She said, as always. Don't believe it. She does not believe that. She believes it when it's convenient for her. She does not believe private companies can make any decision they want for themselves. If she did, there would be no Office of Civil Rights. If she did, there would be no um, EPA. If she did, there would be no OSHA. I can go on and on. There would be no Code of Federal Regulations of which at least probably half of it is aimed at regulations on private companies as opposed to the government. It's not as always this is a a decision for a private corporation to make. Only if it's anti-Trump is it a decision for the private corporation to make. Just as only when it's a Republican do we care about sexual harassment and only when it's a Republican do we care about blackface or KKK history and uniforms. Second, she said, um, Facebook is within its right to curbing the president's account, to stopping the president's account, to crack down on disinformation and false information, she said. To crack down on disinformation and false information. She went on to say whether it's about the election or the vaccine. Let me do the easy part first. To crack down on disinformation and false information, whether it's about the election or the vaccine. What false information about the vaccine has the president put out? 
I mean, he has taken the vaccine. He has had COVID and he has taken the vaccine. I want to know what has he urged people not to take the vaccine? He has not. I would like to know what she is thinking of when she refers to disinformation and false information about the vaccine. The only false information about the vaccine that's come from a president is from President Biden, who claimed it was developed on his watch. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Jen Psaki was talking about the ban on Facebook for President Donald Trump's account, former President Donald Trump's account, and she said the duty to crack down on disinformation and false information on everything from the election to the vaccines is um, is of utmost importance. And I, I don't know what she's talking about. I, I wish someone would have followed up what misinformation or disinformation has been put out on the vaccines. If anything, misinformation and disinformation on vaccines has come from Joe Biden when he said that the vaccine was developed on his watch. The other misinformation and disinformation that I think we've been subject to has come mostly from Anthony Fauci, and I'm going to talk about that at length in just a moment. But before I do, I have to say something about a press secretary that thinks it's the government, it's okay. It's okay for a private corporation with the sanction and countenance of the White House and administration to crack down on what she calls, quote, disinformation and false information. When... Did freedom of speech ever depend on that? There was a legal scholar on CNN who said you do not have the freedom of speech to lie, which of course you do, and she was roundly mocked for it. But the notion that the government or a private corporation has the monopoly on information or truth is quite a frightening one. And quite opposite the entire history of the defense of freedom of speech, at least in America. From the, the let me put it this way: Jen Psaki is asking for a standard of freedom of speech that is stricter, far stricter than even the media has asked for itself when it defends itself from claims of libel or I should say defamation. The notion that a newspaper can publish anything it wants about anyone they want barring reckless that is to say malice aforethought but reckless disregard for the truth. That is the standard. They cannot engage in reckless disregard for the truth. Jen Psaki has no idea what Donald Trump's state of mind for saying what he has said about the elections have been or are. But if words do matter, as she said, words matter. If words do matter, then if she's going to talk about what the president said and if he's going to be punished for what he said, please show me the words that he used 
that spread on high disinformation and false information about the election and vaccines. When it came to the election, Donald Trump had a theory. It was not borne out. A lot of people don't think it's right, but a lot of people still have questions about it. Kind of like the ideas that were floating around with regard to the escape from Wuhan of the virus a year and a half ago. A lot of people weren't convinced that the experts had the narrative quite right. And Donald Trump has a pretty good knack, by the way, for showing that the conventional wisdom has been wrong. I'm going to spend some time on that in a moment. But for the government or a private corporation to say that there can be no discussion about claims of irregularity or fraud in any given election is a very frightening thing. Think it through. Think it through. Got it? You can engage in a fraudulent election, but you can't criticize, examine, condemn, or ask questions about the fraudulent election. It's almost as if asking questions about a fraud or an irregularity is worse than the fraud or irregularity. But there can be no confidence. This is the worst of it. There can be no confidence in the lack of irregularities and the lack of fraud. There can be no confidence in the regularity and honesty of an election if you know that it is impermissible to question the legitimacy of the election. Do you see that? How can anyone ever again have confidence in an election when we are told to question the legitimacy of it is forbidden, impermissible? When people start making comparisons to Stalin and Khrushchev and the Soviet Union and Brezhnev or Maoists China, this example could not shine more brightly. We are told from the spokesman for the President of the United States that you cannot question the legitimacy of an election because, in her opinion, to do so is to engage in disinformation and false information, at least as it applied last year. Who is she to say? In the New York Times versus Sullivan case, which is the case the journalist industry wraps itself in and relies upon for protecting itself from legal either prior restraint or defamation claims, was an opinion where William Brennan, the great liberal jurist, said authoritative interpretations of the First Amendment guarantees have consistently refused to recognize an exception for any test of truth, whether administered by judges, juries, or administrative officials, and especially one that puts the burden of proving the truth on the speaker, especially one that would be putting the burden of truth on Donald Trump. Quote, the constitutional protection does not turn upon truth, popularity, or social utility of ideas and beliefs which are offered. 
Even a false statement may be deemed to make a valuable contribution to public debate since it brings about the clearer perception and livelier impression of truth produced by its collision with error. That was William Brennan quoting John Stuart Mill. It is not the government's or private industry's purview or monopolistic right to dictate what is disinformation and what is false information. That is a notion we used to mock when we were assigned the book 1984 in high school. We can't mock it anymore. We can't mock it anymore. Government and the main political instrumentalities and institutions for conversation, social media, have appointed 28-year-olds to tell us what the truth is that can be spoken in those most popular of political platforms and that Donald Trump does not embrace it or emblemize it. So he will not be allowed there. This is sometimes the mark of a tyranny, and it is sometimes the beginning of a tyranny. I'm not sure where along the line we are now, but the lack of condemnation of it today makes me think we're further along than I would have hoped. Charlie Pride was one of the great ones we lost last year, wasn't he? Said, um, tragic uh, part of uh, the uh, country community that um, he uh, gave so much to. I, um, we will have Andy Biggs joining us at the top of the next hour. I'm gonna, I want to talk to him about a few different things, including the uh, the uh, the uh, the hotel situation in Scottsdale where we are housing upwards of 1,200 immigrants, illegal immigrants. Uh, I want to get his take on that. I want to talk to him about the bans on Facebook as well of, and uh, Twitter of uh, Donald Trump. And I want to talk to him about a letter he sent to the Department of Homeland Security, too. Uh, Bill, I wanted to – I needed to – I was. oh, yes, I was going to ask you. You, wanna, you have a certain game we're going to play. Uh, just mention what it is. We'll do it later. Just let the audience know. My top five picks of your bumper music. So you're not get. So uh, we have about a thousand th- songs in my bumper. We take a lot of pride in it. You have chosen on your own without consulting me what you think my five favorites are. And what you're going to say five those favorites later. Are of yours, huh? What my they're my oh they're favorites your favorites of your songs. And yeah. I'm going to have to interpret why I think you like them best. Or just, you know, give me your thoughts on them. This game is falling apart. We'll see if it... You're good at inventing games. If you can tighten this up, I think it would be more fun if you could figure out what my favorite songs are. Oh, that'd be fun, too. That would be more fun. You've said nothing about my shirt today. If you'd like me to play this game, I will. My shirt, of course. uh, Those of you who want to catch my monologue on YouTube, or if you missed it, you can always get it on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type in 960 The Patriot, hit subscribe. It's all free. Um, That's the only way you you will see what Bill sees today, which is my Magnum P, my official Magnum PI Star Orchid shirt. There are two official shirts you can buy. It's uh, the Star Orchid one, which I'm wearing today, and the Jungle Bird shirt, the red one. I own both. 
And Dagny has been pictured in both as well. Dagny the Wonder Dog. But uh, surprised you hadn't said anything about it. Um, the other part that's, to me, incredibly um, instructive about what Facebook did today is the brashness of it. It's a pretty bold thing to say two years. What does that get you, by the way? Anything magic to you when you hear two years? Certainly gets you through the midterm elections without Donald Trump on Facebook and Twitter, doesn't it? Did anyone think we would be going through that? I think it's high time to strip the Democrats of their hypocrisy and to strip social media of its oligopolistic political and pretentious exemptions from the rules the rest of us have to play by, especially when it comes to the most important thing in life, which is how we govern ourselves. They shall be, as far as I'm concerned, like your telephone company or a regular utility, but they should not get the protection they have to help instantiate Marxism in this country.